Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I am your host, Chris Ward, and I'm back on another beautiful day um, with an amazing guest. In fact, this is one of my best friends ever, uh, the most inspirational guy I know, um, Calvin Johansson. And if you don't know who Calvin Johansson is or the quest he is currently on, um, I will kind of briefly explain it here. Um, A few months ago, he started a project called the 14ers Project with the purpose of hiking the 75 tallest mountains in the continental U.S. in 75 days. 14ers are the nickname for the 14,000-foot mountains that you can find, uh, I believe, 56, I might be wrong, 56 of them in Colorado, uh, 15 in California, and two in Washington. If my math does not add up to 75, I apologize. I haven't had my coffee yet today. He's been dreaming of this project since 2012 after going on a hiking trip with myself, our buddy Travis Steffen, in which we summited Mount Elbert and Mount Massive, two of the biggest mountains in Colorado. I believe they are the biggest mountains in Colorado. Uh, over uh, the course of three days and just to give you kind of an idea of the shape Calvin's in now I went out and hiked Massive and Elbert with him a month ago for the 14ers project and we dominated them in less than 20 hours uh, on barely any sleep in the back of a Prius (laughs) so in short Calvin is one of those friends that you have that is a dreamer and he dreams big, big dreams. And, you know, when you're sitting around the house, sitting on the couch, talking about, we should do this, we should do that. And you're talking crap about all of these big plans and dreams that you have, but ultimately they just stay as dreams. Calvin is special because he actually pursues them. He doesn't just talk the talk, but he puts in the effort and the time to walk the walk as well. We got back from Mount Massive and Mount Elbert in 2012, and within two weeks, he called me, dude, I'm doing Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the biggest mountain in Africa. And (laughs) that was going to be his third mountain he had ever climbed. So you call when you have a crazy idea, and he immediately says, I'm in, let's do this. Which is the best kind of friend. These are the people you should surround yourself with. So today we're just going to check in with Calvin, see how his adventure is going. He's 70 some days approximately into the project and just released a very exciting announcement, which uh, I'm sure he'll share. You can actually check out an interview he did recently on the Dream Think Do podcast by Mitch Matthews, which is fantastic and calvin shares his inspirational thoughts his motivation in fact i always joke with him and say that he needs to start his own either podcast youtube channel movie whatever called calspirations because he is definitely a motivational guy and on mitch's podcast you can hear him kind of talk about the bigger ideas that he's learning along his journey On our podcast today, I kind of want to hear more of the nitty-gritty details. He's shared some of his stories with me along the way, 
and they are wonderful tales of brutal hikes, adversity he's had to overcome, hurdles and obstacles that got in his way, and how he stepped up to those obstacles and ultimately overcame them, which is exactly what every adventure should have, right? You should have things that are hard. You should have challenges. You should have beautiful moments. You should have moments where you feel like you're going to just break down and cry because you don't know if you can make it through. And then when you ultimately make it through those moments, you realize how strong you actually are. And I know for a fact Calvin would tell you that he's going to come out of this experience a stronger person And when he went into the experience, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, he has faced some things that most people won't face. He'll tell you a story because I'm going to ask him about a crazy day where nothing went right. And most people would have just given up. In fact, I think at one point he wanted to give up. But. There was no opportunity to give up. He had to just push through and keep going. And guess what? Now he knows that if he's faced with a situation in life that is challenging, he's going to be able to push through it. So enough of me talking. I could talk about Calvin all all day. Let's get to the man himself. Uh, I would love to welcome to the podcast Calvin Johansson with the 14ers Project. Chris Ward, thank you for having me, man. How are you doing, man? Where are you at? Uh, I'm currently chilling in Bishop, California. It's uh, a little bit warm, but I'm surviving. Yeah, in the crazy desert of California? Yeah, it's uh, just on the desert, right below the high Sierras, I guess you'd call it, mountain range. So a little warm, a little dry, but yeah. Yeah, off your feet for a couple of days? Yeah, taking a a rest. Took a rest day yesterday, and today looking for. Ended up taking another rest day because uh, woke up not feeling so well, but it's allowing me to prepare for a couple, actually several very ambitious days I have coming up. So rest is very well needed, and some good planning to hopefully execute a very ambitious plan coming up. So yeah, still productive. Nice man. Uh... Can you actually tell? Like, can you feel it in your body the next day? That, like, after you've had a rest day? Um, it's a good question as far as... I think sometimes I can, but uh, it's like anything. Like, you're going to have those sore muscles and things. And it's weird whether you probably had a rest day or not. It seems that once you still say, if I don't have a rest day, and I have to show up and go hike a mountain or do some physical activity... At first, the pain is going to be there, but like once you get involved into the activity, then like your mind works; it forgets about the pain. Like maybe the lactic acid and stuff go away, and you just get back to the task at hand. So, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not. Some days I guess I could do it, but some days not. Like this specifically, yesterday my feet hurt a lot, and I woke up and my feet still really hurt. But now they're feeling pretty good, so I think tomorrow I'll be pretty recovered. Nice. And you'll be sprinting up the mountain like a mountain goat. <laughs> I may uh, bust out of the, 
the gates really fast with too much enthusiasm. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, I need to slow down because it's uh, going to be 12 hours of this. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, so what did you announce today, man? This was super exciting for me. I, like, fist pumped in my apartment or my house by myself. <laughs> yeah, so I'm currently on a quest. Uh, for the last two months, I've been on a quest to climb and hike the 75 tallest mountains in contiguous USA. And I don't know, a few weeks ago, I was flirting with this idea to go even bigger, uh, to take my idea and stretch it to a hundred mountains. And I've been kind of flirting with it the last couple of weeks and actually slowly working on it to see if it's even possible, to see if it's feasible. Um, and so today I figured, you know, like anything, public accountability, public announcement that helps solidify uh, a statement. So I officially announced to make it real, to make it official that I'm going to actually go for the 100 highest mountains in contiguous U.S. instead of just the 75. So it's, uh, it's on. That's awesome, man. What, uh, what drove you to that? Did you just get to number 70 and you're like, oh man, I don't want to stop. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, I believe <laughs> I was leaving Colorado around mountain, I can't remember what it was, maybe 50? 50, in the mid-50s or so. Um, I had to leave a couple, a few days early to get up to Washington. And when I was kind of driving, uh, I realized how well I was feeling for being so far in the project. Like, all of a sudden, I could start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, I went and I did Mount Rainier, which was just a huge spectacle. And um, it was it was probably the highlight of this trip so far. It was just afterwards, it was that, that feeling of coming off a day where I was up for almost like 30 hours climbing, doing a very alpine-style mountain. I felt like I could do anything. I was on very much a high. Um, but it's just kind of like, wow, like soon 75 will be here, the light at the end of the tunnel. But I actually feel really good. And what if, to go a little bit crazier, what if, I could do the 100 highest. Uh, the idea was never conceived there in the beginning. Like I could have never even flirted with such an idea before setting out. But now that I'd come this far, uh, it just seemed like, again, a possibility, uh, which was scary because, you know, being not even quite to 60 mountains means if I did choose to do 100, it's like I'm only just barely halfway done where <laughs> If I stick with 75, it's like, man, I'm already like 75% done. Like, soon I can be done and be back home. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's just a matter of actually going through the process and being out here and seeing my body adapt, get stronger, see what the possibilities are. Um, that now it's like raising the bar for myself, being like, oh, my God, like, maybe the next level is to get to 100. Like, that's where it kind of came from. That's awesome, man. Uh, as I look, I'm looking through your Instagram right now. And you always see what you call the summit pick, which is when you're on top of the mountain and your <laughs> arms are raised and you're like just super stoked <laughs> or like I'm looking at one right now, you're doing a cartwheel, you know? So like all the successes, yeah. I kind of want to hear about the misadventures, you know? I want to hear yeah, about the uh, hard moments and I know you've had them because we've talked. <laughs> so start me off day one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, first, like, let me, before we get to day one, I know, uh, I actually, I think after a couple of weeks of like posting the summit success pick, uh, I realized it's like, man, if I want to share this 
this whole experience to story with people. I got to make them feel like they're there. And like, it became pretty apparent early on. It's like, if I just show myself smiling on top of a summit every day, like that's going to get old. Like <laughs> there's so many more things that happen in those 12 to 15 hours of climbing a mountain besides that one moment of standing on the top uh, to show people what it's really like. So that way, and also so they don't get this vision. It's like, Oh, it's all fun and glory. You just get to the top and you're always smiling. Like you actually want to show the journey along the way, right? It's more about the journey than the destination. Definitely. Um, but trying to go back to, oh my gosh, day one is so long ago. But uh, <laughs> the reason I ask you is because <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask yeah. you is because I know day one, which was a planned easy day with quotation marks, uh, started yeah. off as definitely anything but an easy day. Yeah, day one set the tone right out the gates of this whole entire project. Uh, day one was scheduled for two mountain day to do Gray's and Torrey's Peak, which is near uh, Keystone, Colorado, and Breckenridge, that kind of area. And I've done them before, and um, it was supposed to be, you know, like a six-hour day, I think maybe six to seven hours, uh, maybe just like six miles round trip or something. Nothing too strenuous, like a class one hike, which just means you basically walk up on your feet and it should just be kind of a in mountain climbing a walk in the park, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but day one, the night before we, we decided to leave to head to the mountains from Boulder, Colorado. We thought, Hey, let's drive the two hours, get to the trailhead so we could wake up and hit the ground running. And so about midnight, we left Boulder, we drove for a couple hours to the area we thought was the trailhead. And <laughs> Since I'd done this mountain before, and I actually been there two other times, but um, did you know right away? Familiar. Like, did you uh, know that night? I was, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, this is not very familiar at all. So, like, in the morning, we woke up and realized we were lost a little bit. But uh, we realized we, after you know, getting our senses straight, we realized we were on the back side of the mountain and not actually the official trailhead so i knew at that point it's already eight in the morning and uh you know you want to avoid thunderstorms these things i figured for us to correct our mistake and drive around the other side of the mountain to get to the trailhead it's probably going to take a couple more hours so i thought you know what like there's just got to be a way up the back side of this mountain we'll just walk up this way versus trying to drive around the mountain and start so uh which turned out to be kind of a very bad idea. Um, <laughs> a very unofficial route, which um, we basically, I don't want to call it a first ascent because I don't know if that's true, but um, we went up some very technical stuff, probably some class three, four stuff. Can, you explain, day, can you explain the classes yeah. really quick? Yeah. Um, so mountains are ranked on a class of one through five. Class one just means uh, you're just walking, use your feet, no hand motions. Class two, so class one's usually a nice uh, groomed trail. Class two will be very similar, but class two, you may be using your hands or leaning forward to possibly have to touch actual rocks to get up something, uh, something they would call scrambling. Class three is very much hands and feet needing to climb. Not too dangerous, but uh, definitely going to be using your whole body to maneuver to get up the mountain at some point. 
Um, class four is the next level after class three, which is very much climbing again. It could be more dangerous because you may have what you would have, uh, have more exposure, which you'll face in class three. Class exposure means um, you could see the cliff, like you may be next to a cliff and you could fall a hundred feet or more or something. So class three, you know, usually don't have a lot too much exposure. Class four, you may have more exposure. It typically on class fours, people may need or feel the need to rappel down from the moves that they've climbed up to get down safely instead of down climbing. Okay. And then class five is where you have what is called technical rock climbing where people if you see people like harnesses and ropes and like all the technical gear, then you're on class five mountains and then those go into their own rating systems from five point zero or five point one all the way up to five dot 16 okay so awesome. i hope that does that clarify that? yeah that helps so you're instead of doing a class one day one you're on like <laughs> yeah. probably at least a class two a lot harder i'm um, imagining easily class three at points so really? maybe there's some parts of class four easy, <laughs> for sure class three stuff and the day ended up being twice as long as we thought i think it took us like 11 hours the mileage we put in it was about 11 or 12 miles uh, we were just, I had a hiking partner that day, my friend Alex, and, uh, we just weren't quite ready for that to be happened on day one. We're just to kind of ease into it, but, uh, right out the gate, it was teaching us some lessons and it set the tone for what this project is and what it was going to take and what we might encounter along the way. So what do you mean by set the tone? Like it set the tone of problem solving or it's going to be yeah. brutally hard or what? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, knowing how to adjust on the fly, a lot of problem solving, needing to, the need for better research and preparation for every single day before heading up into the mountains, um, the physicality that's going to be needed, uh, potentially <laughs> facing the elements, but also just like speed, the endurance. Um, yeah, I guess kind of in all those realms. So you realize that you had to become kind of a superhero, right? Like just become yeah. jacked like uh, Batman? Um, maybe in the end, but, uh, I knew that it was kind of like, make sure I knew it was going to be marathon over a sprint, but, uh, just the whole idea of being prepared for kind of any scenario that may be coming at any point. Okay. Okay. So how terrible did you feel day two waking up? I think, what'd you do day two? <laughs> what mountain was that? Do you day, remember? Two, day two, we did Mount Quandry okay. and Sherman. Okay. So two shorter ones. Yeah, two little bit shorter ones. I remember uh, getting done on day one, and we grabbed dinner in Frisco, and we were just exhausted. like 10 o'clock at night by the time <laughs> we got there. And we're just eating, and I'm like, oh, we need to drive like another hour to so go to bed. Tomorrow shouldn't be too bad. Like, I've done it before. Uh, I, I think it's only like five miles. Yeah. Maybe 10 miles round trip or something. Um, another kind of class one. Uh but I remember, yeah, then waking up on day two, I believe, and I wasn't too sore, I don't think, yet. It hadn't really hit me. But, you know, then it was, you know, apparent the whole idea that your body doesn't get a lot of recovery time. And I went to bed really tired, like exhausted, but I woke up feeling decent. Yeah. Um, so we did, we did quandary. But then the next mountain we actually had to drive to, you couldn't actually just, like, hike a ridge over. It wasn't connected. So we had, like, 
go up the mountain, come down the mountain. Uh, we got some food and for logistics and schedule, like I needed to get this next mountain done. So it was, uh, going to require me to do kind of like a sunset hike. I didn't have a lot of energy, but it's kind of like I had no choice at the same time. If I wanted to have success in this overall project, even though it was only day two, but realizing it's like, if I didn't stay on schedule now, like it's only going to affect the whole entire schedule moving forward. Gotcha. But I specifically remember on day three, waking it up after doing quandary at night. So at this point in two days, I've done four mountains. Um, I wake up on day three and which are scheduled to do this, uh, four, uh, this loop, you can do four mountains in like, uh, 10 miles. And I remember waking up uttering the words, uh, I can't wait for a rest day <laughs> in which my hike, in which my hiking partner just started laughing. And he goes, says the guy who's supposed to be hiking and climbing 75 mountains, 75 days. And it's kind of like in my scheduled rest day wasn't for probably another week or so. Uh, my first one, it just kind of like hit me in the face of like, Oh my goodness. Like these are things that I'm going to have to learn to deal with, like waking up, feeling tired, exhausted, but still finding the strength and the courage to put one foot in front of the other every single morning. For sure, man. Um, okay. So fast forward, you did a whole bunch of mountains after that. Um, and it seemed like things went pretty smooth as smooth as, as they could go at that point. Um, when did you really face like another giant challenge or misadventure or or some kind of adversity after that yeah um thinking back gosh it's, it's almost like a it's blur because so <laughs> all these days like how many mountains and uh i know specifically about week two other than the watch range doing the collegiate peaks and really it's around week three i think but i was finally starting my body was starting to wear down i had a lot of hip pain um hip pain that was kind of moving into my knee uh and every day like i had all this like huge tightness and like no matter what i was trying to do like yoga stretching moving it it was just a big ball of tightness that was affecting other areas in my body specifically specifically different areas inside my hip and kind of knee joints and it was just a matter of i have to deal with this every day like it's, I, I try to do body maintenance but it's like i I have to figure out how to get over this. I have to deal with it every day because um, I don't think one or two rest days is going to solve this. It's obviously an ongoing issue. So dealing with that at first kind of, you know, that's when things started to get more real, being like, you know what, you may face injuries and this adversity, but you're going to have to get over this. So that's kind of, uh, I checked my ego a little bit. I switched to hiking poles at that point because I wasn't using poles to hike with. Ooh. And I'd say over a week that really help take a lot of force and tension out of my hip and put it more to my arms It slowly started that healing process, which is helped me in the long run, get a lot more skill and technicality by using the poles. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Those are ne necessary for going downhill on those things. Um, okay. Going downhill, like, yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say? Uh, just like, yeah. Uh, historically in my experience, using poles are essential going downhill to kind of like save your, knee joints like coming down the mountain you have a lot of force in your legs for the striking and the weight coming down on um so that's when i used to use poles a lot but now to be honest with you i find the poles more beneficial going even uphill just because with each step especially when i'm having to like step up on bigger rocks and boulders 
um, I'm able to transfer more of the force into my arms and shoulders. And I estimate probably like 30, 20 to 30%. Like it's not a lot, but it's enough that when you're doing that a thousands of times a day, it's transferring more of that force and energy into your arms. It's really been saving my legs, which, and again, overall has been helping my endurance and my speed. So even though they're super beneficial, the weight coming down, I find them just as beneficial, if not more going up now. Nice. Nice. Um, so any, any other big challenges in Colorado before we get to what, there are a couple of stories I really, <laughs> really want to hear about. And one, we actually talked about last week, but after you explained your story on Mount Stanford, I instantly decided that I had to call you back and listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Colorado, um, just trying to go through a quick mental checklist. Thankfully, like everything kind of panned out. I mean, I had some, <laughs> I guess, yeah, here's, I remember kind of now on Mount Snapples, which is near Uray, Colorado. Um, I got a little bit late start around noon and I knew I was going to be battling weather because it was kind of the start of monsoon season, as they call it. So even more thunderstorms or higher chances. And, uh, I remember hiking up to the top of the mountain. I got to the top. I kind of look over and it's just kind of black in the distance. I'm like, Oh man, thunderstorms moving in. Like I got to get moving. And I just start descending and all of a sudden it's just like, it starts lightning like crazy on the mountain, basically crossing you maybe a mile or two over. And nothing Terrifying. will make your heart jump out of your chest or kind of stop than, like, when you see big bolts of lightning striking a mountain in front of you and you're still very high up on the mountain, very exposed. And all I could think of was, like, at any second that lightning could hit me. I don't know that much about storms and things, but uh, I immediately started sprinting like wow. a mad dad. And wow. uh, that was uh, – got my anxiety anxiety quite high i was up way later than i should have been um and you hear about these tragedies people get struck by lightning and stuff but you're always like oh it's not going to be me because i'm going to be smart enough and blah 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 but weather moves in fast it can go from you know clear to a thunderstorm in 15 20 minutes out of nowhere wow um and that wasn't a very good experience but i got down safely thankfully and then the very next day on wetterhorn i happened to find myself in basically a very similar scenario again, which was just as frightening. Um, and kind of, and I made record time, I think, from the summit down to <laughs> the summit to the top of the mountain, down to like the trailhead. Uh, I remember getting to the summit. I was there at this, this had to be my shortest summit I've had to date, probably. I was there for about two minutes, maybe enough to like take a photo, grab a quick bite, because. I saw back at Mount Sneffels, the mountain I climbed the day prior, uh, you know, a couple dozen miles away. It was all black and thunderstorming. I was like, well, I've got time. Like, I can see that <laughs> way in the distance, so I'll be fine. But what I didn't see was behind me, another storm had rolled in. And on my descent, it was crazy lightning, thunder that would, like, shake my whole body in the whole valley. And I honestly basically sprinted from the summit to the trailhead and made it back in, like, one hour, where it had wow. taken, you know, like, four hours, made it climb the mountain. But it was just, like, a dead sprint the whole time. <laughs> wow. Well, well so. I, what I realized, I, I came out and did Mount Elbert and Mount Massive with you, and we kind of ran into storms, nothing on that, like, to that extent when we are hiking up Mount Elbert. Yeah. But what I realized is really dangerous is on the way up, you can't see what's behind the mountain. So if there's a giant storm situation moving in 
you have no idea until you get to the very top, which is, which that, is yeah, it's very true. You, you, yeah, you're blind like the other side of yeah, what the weather patterns are doing on the other side, and like what's what's happening. So yeah, you can get to the top, and all of a sudden, just because of perspective, you're blind, you can't see it, and all of a sudden, boom, you can walk right into a storm. Yeah, yeah, which is which is pretty crazy. And if people don't know, lightning is the number one killer on those mountains. You think like climbing mountains, like falling off a cliff or like being attacked by a mountain lion or crazy stuff like that. But really it's lightning. So got to watch out for that. Yeah. And like, and the scary thing about lightning is there's really no forewarning um, that I know as far as you're going to get struck. Like from what I found is one of the biggest indicators that where you're probably in the biggest trouble is like if you can hear rocks around you, like buzzing, they say like they're actually like positively charged. If your hair starts to stand up, then you're in a very bad scenario like uh you're most likely to get struck by light like very high chances right yeah but um it happens so fast it's not like oh my gosh here i see it the lightning's coming the bolt's coming like you can dodge it it's just like it's an instantaneous snap of the fingers boom something happens that you can't even see happening so scary wow that's really scary man okay so i want to fast forward to uh if you don't have any more in colorado but i want to hear about mount (laughs) rainier because mount rainier just sounds awesome like a completely different experience. Yeah, Mount Rainier is very different. Uh, when we talk about classes of mountains, that one through five kind of ranking of a lot of the mountains I've been climbing in Colorado are all like one through three. So anywhere from just walking on, like I'm out there in shorts and a long sleeve shirt, like with a small backpack, I can go up and down these mountains decent, relatively quickly. You know, uh, Mount Rainier is snow covered year round it's a giant glacier it's a huge mountain that sits behind seattle it's really famous you'll see it it's a huge volcano um it is by i think volume or growth ever the biggest mountain in the u.s um it's it's massive it's huge and i don't have necessarily that experience what you call alpine uh alpinism like alpine mountain climbing which means like Using fancy technical gear like crampons, which are spikes on your feet, uh, just a lot of climbing stuff. Like you're actually roped together in case you fall. You're in a rope team, so if you fall or a teammate falls, hopefully you only slide so far down the mountain and will everyone else kind of catch you because you're tied together like a giant lifeline. Wow. Um, but yeah, Mount Rainier is incredible as far as um, day one. Like we hiked up to Near Camp, which is where we the route we chose was. Uh, the DC route, which is the standard route, disappointment cleaver is what it stands for. Okay. And uh, we hiked up to Camp Mir, which um, that's not too technical. We had just like you know regular walking, ready shoes on, but you have to pack all your tents, all your big heavy backpack stuff. Uh, we got to get up there. You chisel out like a spot to sleep your tents. That means you got to like take a shovel and carve out a nice square, to, a flat area to put your tent down melt some snow to get water for the next day. Because uh, basically what happens is we get up to camp around 5 o'clock, do a couple of things for a couple hours, and then you want to lay down and get to bed by 8 o'clock because you're going to wake up at 11 o'clock and start <laughs> climbing from midnight and try to get up on the summit at sunrise. And so we wake up. Uh, we try to go to sleep around 8, 830. Uh, I hardly sleep at all because it's just kind of a weird time to try to go to bed anyways. Then you have people coming into camp late, setting up their camp. So it's just like not a conducive environment to sleeping. But anyway, so we the alarm goes off and um, it's like 11 o'clock at night. 
uh, you get outside, you put on kind of like all your snow gear, and things start getting very real. It's like you have to put on your climbing harness, uh, and, and you all clip into this uh, 70-meter rope. So there's like we had a team of four of us, and we're all clipped together. And it's very like, here's the drills, here's the mechanics, somebody's going to lead us, we have a leader, uh, make sure you call out your right commands and stuff because, you know, you can be in very dangerous environments where, like, you could slip and fall into a crevasse, which is, like, a big, giant ice hole or whatever. Yeah. Um, wow. Or slide down the slope of a face of a mountain. And uh, it's just – it's very – it's much more serious. Like, uh, you got to take things very serious. So it got very real very quickly, feeling very big mountain, which was exciting and exhilarating at the same time. Yeah. Um, See, that's yeah, the so – dude, we, that's what kind of makes you – indestructible is when you're faced with a terrifying experience or something you're uncomfortable with you find it exciting and you like kind of (laughs) you kind of take the the craziness and the fear in and you let out a whole bunch of energy like you're awesome at that man i really respect that one one of the best lessons i ever learned i'm a self-development junkie so to speak, there's this famous book called the seven habits of highly effective people in which I only remember one of the habits because it was a, it was, I was listening to an audio book years ago, but it stood out and I haven't forgot it since. And it talked about responding versus reacting. And most individuals in their life are in a reactive phase, which is very emotional based. So say um, if you get upset, something happens and all of a sudden you get triggered and you're like, why the F would you do that? You get mad. You have this reaction response to it. Very emotionally driven. Whereas responding is more kind of a logical approach where like you take the information in and you process it and you choose uh, how you're going to respond, using the word again, how you're going to respond to that scenario. So um, for example, it could be like if a girlfriend or a significant other walks up and slaps you in the face, most people would instantly <laughs> have a reaction and be really upset and angry. Or if you are very grounded you may if you have a response to it you may ground yourself for a second take a breath and try to ask yourself what does this scenario mean why is this happening what is your next move you're going to do and it's very like methodical thought out so to speak and that doesn't mean you have to take 10 or 15 minutes you could do that in a matter of split seconds but if you can get down to that process responding versus reacting it can change your scenario very much so what i find is in some of these scenarios where they're very uncomfortable and they are the unknown, which is usually people will react. And I, I do this too. I'm not perfect at it, but typically people will react in which fear will come into play and fear will take over and they'll be scared. And like fear could paralyze us, uh, make us want to lay on the ground and like we can get injured by fear. Yeah. But if you accept the unknown, the uncomfortableness just as, is that, that it's the unknown um, you've never experienced it before, like you don't have to assign fear to it. So this would be responding to something you could just like, simply acknowledge saying, wow, I've never done this before. How can I proceed carefully or what can I learn from this scenario to, you know, mitigate my risk uh, of danger in those things? But how can I still proceed with the knowledge that I have in a, in a careful kind of thought out way? So um, I just look at it as, to me, I think of a, who we are as individuals in the world is our experience shapes our perception of the world, whatever stories you have. So, um, for example, I've never really got to experience being on a big giant mountain tied into a bunch of people. And I recognize that, but it was just like, 
this is the process. There's other groups out here doing this. Like, you know, thousands of people a year do this. Uh, you just got to be safe and like be aware and kind of move forward and just uh, look at it as more of a learning opportunity that, uh, than a position to be scared and fearful and not learn from it. That's awesome, man. That's really, really important. Which will give you, which will give you confidence moving forward. And it's kind of like a muscle, like anything. It's almost like doing push-ups every day. Like if you exercise that muscle, that um, the ability to acknowledge the unknown as opportunities to build confidence, then you could proceed in some really great opportunities in the future. Yeah, and you build those skills because now you've you've done alpinism to a certain degree, right? So if you were asked to go back up Mount Rainier, you'd probably feel a lot more confident and a lot yeah, more I'd feel, comfortable. Yeah, I'd feel a lot more confident. Um, and it was fun that I was putting in, honestly, I was in an environment with three strangers. I didn't know who they were. And as the team leader who I got to organize this trip basically said, hey, man, you're the wild card. He's like, I know these other two guys. I know their <laughs> capabilities. He's like, I really don't know anything about you. And I was like, you know what? I fully understand that. And I'm going to check my ego and stuff. And like, you guys are leaders. Like whatever you say, I will do. Cause I know this is not my area of expertise. And I'm kind of like, I'm looking to you as your guidance. That's kind of why I've hired you. And, um, just knowing where my place is, but now I feel having experienced that, um, I've got much more understanding of the scenario. I wouldn't be completely comfortable going back, but I now possess a lot more knowledge and experience than I, than I did previously. Yeah. So did that, camaraderie build throughout the day or did you still get to the end and kind of felt like strangers or (laughs) Uh, no camaraderie built pretty quickly it was fun to the team was made up of four people and actually uh we had a running joke to keep things political that we were out there keeping america great because we had (laughs) there's four of us from uh four different areas all across the country one guy's from la one was from Seattle, one was from Denver, and I'm from Iowa. So we're like, here we are, four people from all over the country working together, keeping it great, like, you know, making a political joke. Yeah. But um, you quickly, you know, um, you're going to spend, uh, you know, 30-plus hours with four guys, and here your life is in the hands of these people, and you, you can kind of quickly start to assess people and their personalities and who each other kind of are and how they work. But camaraderie built, and everyone kind of had their position in the team. Like I found that, uh, which is probably a natural strength of mine as far as like keeping the morale up, keeping the morale meter going, yeah. uh, being inspirational, encouraging. Like I may not have had the technical skills, but by this point I was very well conditioned. So I had high spirits. I was feeling great on the mountain where a couple of the guys all came from sea level. So they weren't conditioned and it was a lot harder for them. Um, but it was my role to try and, like, always check in with everybody, see how they were doing, make sure the morale was up. While we had, you know, one guy was very technical. He was leading it and making sure the technicality, the ropes, the procedures. Um, but, yeah, so overall I would say everyone brought their kind of strengths. And if they had weaknesses and other people's strengths kind of filled in for that, which all around made us a pretty solid team. That's awesome, man. Was there – I know you told me at one point, um, I think you didn't see this area going up. Uh, the mountain because it was in the dark then but when you're coming back you realize that you're in some area where there was just I think the snow was melting or something and there was just giant boulders just falling (laughs) randomly around you can you talk about that a little bit yeah yeah there's the part um I can't remember the exact name of something fields um is right below the disappointment cleaver 
DC, but it was an area where you wanted to move relatively quickly. We would actually shorten up our rope gaps, meaning um, when everyone was stretched out, we had about 10 feet, uh, no, 30 feet, I think, 10 or I can't remember, it depends, like 10 to 30 feet between each individual. Okay. It would have been 10 feet, excuse me. So we had like 10 feet between each individual. But then we, um, but then if we wanted to move quicker, we would shorten that rope to say maybe five feet, right? So we would do this because it was in the dark and way up above, like the ice and um, glaciers and stuff are melting, but groups are way ahead of you. So like someone could step on a rock and it can come falling. It can trigger a bunch of other rock falls. And uh, all this debris is falling, which is very deadly. Yeah. And at night, you're just kind of moving quickly and fast because you can't see a whole lot besides your headlamp kind of in front of you and the path you're walking on. But coming back down, you could then like it was bright daylight and you could see these huge crevasses that we navigate around and stepped over, which means like this is where the glacier has separated and you could fall 100, 200 feet. Sometimes you can't even see the bottom of it wow. into these holes, right, which could very much kill you. Very dangerous. But um, and on top of that, not only are you navigating these things, but up above, you could all of a sudden just hear like these loud crashing noises and you could just watch huge boulders and rocks come tumbling and flying down like a few hundred feet in front of you like in this path that pathway you see you have to go across it's kind of like holy crap when you're out there you're exposed like at any point something from way up above uh can come flying down and get you so like very very frightening and um in the daylight it was frightening it's like you all of a sudden just look and you see this whole field of debris of like what the rangers and other people were uh, telling you about to be careful of, like why you need to move quickly. And now like with the daylight's on, you're like, Oh my gosh, like there's tons of stuff constantly falling from above us in this specific area. So we need to move quickly and safely. That's unreal, man. How, how long of an area, like how long did that take you to get through approximately? Um, I think uh, less than an hour, I believe, okay. you know, um, <laughs> probably 45 minutes to an hour. Let's just say safely an hour, but um, you're definitely there. You're exposed. So, so it was 40, yeah. <clears throat> 45 minutes of thinking at any second, a rock could hit you on the head. Kind of. I mean, you try not to think like, I don't necessarily, that's very much can, that can put you in a fear paralysis mode, uh, which if fear kicks in and you freeze and you stand there, you're just now making yourself more susceptible to danger. So, Again, kind of going back to kind of being focused, and this is where, like, you want to try and be very present, focused at the task at hand, and realize that, yes, there's these external factors that could be happening, but the best way for me to safely get out of this scenario is to keep moving, which means I need to focus on the environment around me, my team members, and my feet. Like, make sure that, like, we're consistently making quick progress navigating through these fields versus, like, stopping looking around and worrying if you're in in danger now if you do hear noises like it sounds like things are coming tumbling down then yes you'd stop and look to see is that in your line of trajectory or are you safe kind of thing but um you definitely want to focus at the task of hand and just kind of keep trying to move as quickly as possible because if you get caught up too much about thinking about a rock hitting you on the head <laughs> then you may not think about where you're stepping you could very much step into a crevasse and fall into a hole where it's like your most immediate danger is right in front of you. So you should focus on that. That's awesome, man. I'm sure you're going to apply that to your life uh, post 100 Mountains project. Um, but I want to hear the most amazing story. And I feel bad being so entertained by this story. I really, really do. 
But uh, can you please explain <laughs> about Mount Stanford? Which, by the way, as an Iowa Hawkeye fan, we already hate Stanford so much for the Rose Bowl last year. And then to hear about this, man, it's uh, I'm done with Stanford. They're out of here, man. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> Mount Stanford is uh, it's not a 14ers. It's not one of the 75 tallest, but it is maybe uh, it's within 100 feet short. Therefore, it falls on the 100 list. Uh, and it's a mountain up here in the high Sierras. And I was out on a, a backpacking loop in which over the course of four days, I was going to try to grab 10 mountains or so um, because I was backpacking really far in really long mileage. It just made sense to try to be as efficient as possible which, and get these mountains versus backpacking in and out 30 miles at a time. Yeah, time. which that's <laughs> the difference in California, right? The California mountains are just a lot longer, a lot more elevation. Yeah, a lot more elevation. The approaches are much longer. Just the accessibility isn't there as much. Like maybe Colorado, where you could drive up much closer to the mountain and start your hikes. Okay. Um, but in this in this scenario, we're on day we're on day. I'm queued up for day four, and I'm like, uh, at this point, I've done seven mountains, and I have what I believe in front of me a really good game plan based on I'm using my topographic maps. Um, I've got a plan. It says my partner. I also kind of had a hiking partner with me. Uh, he was going to head down out of the mountains because he didn't need to climb these. They weren't on his list. So I was like, hey, you take the, the tent, the sleeping gear, you drop it off at this specific location because I'm going to cross it on my way down. I'll pick up my stuff. So that way I didn't need to carry all of my gear while trying to go climb three more mountains because a lot more weight just makes it more strenuous and I didn't need that. Gotcha. So you're, so doing, like, to- you're doing a point to point where you start in one spot, you're going to hike however long to another spot. You're not doing a loop. You're not going up Correct. and back. Okay. Okay. Correct. It was almost like a loop a little bit, but it was very point point. It's kind of like, I was going to go out. I was going to go to mountain one, two, and three. And I was supposed to be able to go up the front side of mountain three and come down the backside and get to my sleeping gear. My partner is going to drop off um, very much kind of point system. And then it was the most, e- what seemed to be the most efficient way to save on mileage and gains for me to get these three mountains. So I had a really good plan in place, and uh, I was thinking, you know what, these three, like, it'll probably take me 12 hours or something. Um, I'll be in town before dinner, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what so, everyone says, man. Um, that's what they all say. That's what, every, that's what they all say. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've learned this lesson many of, kind of times. It's been apparent throughout the trip, but I get up. Um, I hardly sleep at all. First off, like, I go to bed around. I'm exhausted. So I lay down around 8.30. I'm um, thinking I'm going to wake up about 3 a.m. Um, so it's like, I'll get some good sleep, but it turns out we're sleeping very high elevation, around 12,000 feet. And I don't know if it was because it's cold or what, but uh, maybe I was so exhausted my body just couldn't sleep. And I hardly sleep. I toss and turn. Eventually, the alarm goes off. I'm just like, I've got no choice but to get up and start doing this. So the trek to the first mountain, I factored based on mileage and stuff, should take me about an hour and a half to get to. So naturally, two and a half hours later, I'm at almost the mountain. So I'm an hour behind almost there. Almost the mountain. I climbed the first. Yeah. I, um, I thought I'd be done with the first mountain like at 8 a.m. up and down. And it was 10 a.m. by the time I got up and down and everything. So I was like, okay, I'm already behind on schedule. Let me go to Mount Stanford now. In which Mount Stanford is, uh, has the title of the shyest mountain in California, which just means like, it doesn't have a huge prominence, so it doesn't really stick above other mountains. It's very hidden and hard to kind of get to. 
So it took me, I wasted a couple hours trying to find this thing first off. And I should <laughs> just went with my gut and chose a shortcut that I thought that I had via my app and GPS waypoints and things. But um, from 10 a.m. in short, I started losing a bunch of time. And I, by the time I got to the base for the ascent of Mount Stanford, it was 4.30 p.m. So wow. I had wasted six and a half hours to get to this thing, which I had budgeted like an hour of time to get to. Wow. So and that's just the was, base of the mountain, right? That's the base, which I probably have another 2,000 feet to 1,500 to 2,000 feet probably to scramble up. Probably 1,500 feet, class three, like climbing stuff. Okay. So when I'm there, I, I quickly, I, I realized even a couple hours before that, basically running quick math in my head, like by the time I get to the mountain, by the time I climb it, come up, down, I move to the next mountain. It was going to be dark before I was even at the third mountain, which I thought I'd actually be out of the mountains before dark. And if you recall, um, I said my hiking partner took all of yeah. my <laughs> sleeping gear. So all I have is with me some layers, which is fine. But um, if I'm able to move quickly and get this done. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be climbing some stuff in the dark, which isn't always the most fun thing to do because it makes it more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this point, so I, I, I climb Mount Sanford, I go up, I come down, and I'm super tired. And the sun is now setting, and I'm staring across this huge valley that I have to get across and try to get to this other mountain, which I can't even see because I have to go, like, down and around another mountain to get there. <laughs> and now I'm just like, man, that's, I'm not sure how many hours that's going to take me even just to get to the mountain, and i got to go up it and then down it. Um, I realize that I'm not going to be in a good scenario. So... Uh, I was like, well, let me try to make the best of this. Uh, I don't have any sleeping gear, but let me head down into the trees, which is around 12,000 elevation. Uh, so I'll drop 2,000 elevation because it'll be a little bit warmer. A rule of thumb is for every 1,000 feet of elevation, the weather cha- or the temperature changes 3 to 4 degrees. So I'm thinking if I drop 2,000 feet, it'll probably be anywhere 6 to 8 degrees warmer. I'll be out of the wind. Um, maybe I can make it laying on the ground somewhere all bundled up. Genius plan. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I go down to the woods. I find a little camping spot. I put on every piece of clothes that I have. I snuggle in. I just lay on the ground. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I feel really good. Like, I'm nice and toasty. Like, I'm actually warm. Like, you know what? Like, this is going to pan out, I guess. It's not going to be too bad. I'll actually be able to fall asleep. And I actually set my alarm for, like, five hours later or something. Like, well, I'm so exhausted. I didn't sleep the night before. I might as well get some good sleep and I'll just wake up and finish this mountain in the dark. Yeah, which that makes well, sense, right? Like, if you could sleep, that would make total sense. It would make complete sense. So, <laughs> I'm laying there in about, I'm kind of dream, going off to dreamland. Uh, then all of a sudden, like, I get jerked awake because I hear, like, sounds of animals. I turn on my headlight and I look real fast. Because I'm worried about bears because you have Whoa. to carry bear canisters for food. What and was so I'm it? like, oh my God, was that you know? a bear? <laughs> like, what is it? I, I don't know. All I know is I quickly woke up, pointed my headlight, and I think it scampered off. So Dude, let's say it was a bear. Let's say it was a bear. Or a mountain it, lion riding a bear. It Even was better. mountain lion riding the bear. So I'm laying there <laughs> on the ground, completely exposed, just sitting there thinking like, and I'm laying on top of my food. Like, I actually don't have bear cancer with me because my hiking <laughs> partner took it. So I have, my pillow is my food that I'm using because I have all my clothes on. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, am I going to fall asleep and wake up to like a bear licking my face? Like, I don't know, right? These are the things right through my head. So anyways, I fall asleep for maybe about 15 more minutes and I'm in kind of a dreamland and then my body's 
naturally, of course, wakes up. But at this point, it, uh, uh, like 30 minutes, I went to sleep around 9 o'clock. It's like now 9.30, and I'm just shivering. And I realized, oh, crap, like I'm not going to be able to sleep. It's going to be freezing. Um, my only choice is to get up and move because always I'm not going to be able to sleep, and I'm going to be very, very cold. But at this point, I'm kind of motivated because I'm like, hey, you know what? I got a power nap. If it takes me an hour and a half to get to the mountain, plus maybe two hours up, that's three and a half hours to the top, then it'll probably just take me two hours down on the backside. I should be at my campsite. And I can grab all my sleeping gear, and I can bundle up if I have to. So I'm thinking five, five and a half hours, and I can sleep like a baby. <laughs> so, of course, I get up, and I'm navigating to go to the next mountain, in which the area I'm going has no real trail up to it. So I'm just kind of using a compass on my phone and things and trying to head in the general direction I'm trying to get to. And in about an hour and a half later, my adrenaline is now gone again. And, uh, my 30 minute power nap is wore off and I'm exhausted, but I'm all warm again. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just lay down again next <laughs> to this river. This river sounds kind of peaceful and <laughs> it'll work this time. It'll work this time. I'm under these beautiful stars. It's kind of like a planetarium. Um, now I'm up higher, so I'm not necessarily in the trees. It's a little bit of wind, but not much. So I just, I lay down. I'm like, you know what? I think I'll be able to get a good two hours in. Like, this will really energize me. And then about 20 minutes later, I wake up shivering. <laughs> oh, no. And so it's like, I've got no choice but to continue. Wow. So that 20 minutes gets me maybe another hour and a half. I'm moving. I'm just so exhausted. Um, are you like at stumbling this point, at this point? You know, you're so tired. You're stumbling over rocks. So or? tired. You're trip. You're tripping over rocks, and all you can think is just like you got to keep moving, right? Like keep yeah. heading the direction you're trying to go. So maybe after another hour, hour and a half, uh, I'm kind of cold. I'm even more tired at this point. It's getting near the 24 hour mark when I've been up a little bit, and I haven't had real sleep, and I didn't really sleep the night before because I was tossing and turning. So geniusly, I'm like, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm just going to curl up and lay against this boulder and push my backpack against the side of me so it kind of like blocks the wind. I'm like, if anything, I'll get another 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then I'll be energized, right? <laughs> so I lay there for about 15 minutes. And again, I'm gaining elevation, so it's just getting colder. Wow. That lasts maybe 15 minutes. And I'm like, no, I got to keep moving. So I get up, keep zombieing it up, and... Then I make the decision at this point, I've been up for almost 24 hours again. I can't remember the exact time, but I'm like, I'm almost to the base of the mountain. And that means I at least probably have two hours to go up at, at the state that I'm in, probably two and a half just because I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, and it's a class two mountain, so it shouldn't be like too technical or dangerous. We just don't know at night because I can't, it's not a full moon. All I can really see is like the seven by seven foot surrounding area of what my headlamp is providing. And I'm so tired and I'm standing there and now I have the decision to make. It's like, I've come so far. I can either climb the front of this mountain and I'm supposed to be able to go off the backside and get to camp or I can go to a pass, which means like I can cut over the ridge between two mountains, which wouldn't be as high and I can just head straight to camp and that'll probably be safer and it's going to cut time. Yeah. And so at that moment, a couple of remarks jump into my head from some people who reach out and they're like, Hey, whatever you do, man, just be safe out there. And I remember a promise I made to my parents and other friends and said, <laughs> I'm going to make the smartest decisions I can out here, like in a vacuum. I'm going to always be safe. And then 
I asked myself, what would I tell somebody else to do in this moment? And That's super important. My advice would be, my advice would have been, do not climb that mountain, like get to safety. So I decided, I was like, you know what? Let me go for the pass and try to get to camp earlier. Like, if anything, I'll get over there. I can set up camp. I can sleep for multiple hours. I can wake up and I can rehike like the four to six hours to go climb this mountain and come back down. Like, at least then I know I'll be safe. It'll be in the daylight. It'll lower my risk and all these things. Yeah. So I'm like, even though I'd come so far, I go 24 hours, like it was a hard decision to make. Um, but I knew it was the right decision to make. For sure. It definitely so was. I continue on and it's still, I have to keep climbing up the mountain, like between this ridge to get to the path I need to get to. And I'm so tired. And then I see like a half rock cave <laughs> And I'm like, man, it's been my dream to sleep in a cave. This isn't even like a real cave, but I'm so tired. Let me try for like another 30 minutes. I and love, like, dude, I love your optimism, how you keep thinking <laughs> it's going to work. You keep saying, oh, yeah, man, this time is going to be the time. This time it's going to work. Even though, like, uh, obviously I keep climbing higher, so it's getting colder and more tired. Like, it's not going to work. Like, yeah. This is like your brain, when you're sleep deprived, is equivalent to being drunk you're making bad decisions like you can't rationalize very well which is something that i remembered before i chose not to descend that ascend that mountain because i could have gotten danger i could have made bad decisions yep so i kind of curl up in a ball in the small little cave thing and then about seven minutes later this time wow. i'm just like freezing i'm like i'm so tired I'm like i have no choice but to keep moving soon the sun is gonna come up and at least that'll energize me or at least it'll show me where i'm going like that's what's really hard when you're like walking in the dark with a headlamp and it was just like the never ending story it didn't end like eventually i got up to the pass and i thought oh one more hour and i'll be back to camp and like when i got to the top which means then like the top of the ridge where i could drop down it just kept getting not necessarily worse but it was still another probably two hours or so yeah maybe two and a half hours to get to camp and i eventually got to my campsite where my, where my camping gear is around 8 30 the next morning i got my stuff so like 28 uh, hours later yeah like 28 hours later around it was, it was around the 30 hour mark 20 hours 28 hours something like that um i'd seen two sunrises i'd walked about close to 40 miles i think like 35 miles is a lot um i just quickly set up tent and stuff and knew i was like let me get two hours of sleep because i know i still have uh four hour walk down out of the mountains at this point. Um, or I was going to go back and do that other mountain. But at that point I was just like, you know what? I need to get out of the mountains. I'll have to refresh myself and then come back and do this mountain on a different day. Uh, so I lay down for about two hours, got a little bit of sleep, woke up still a little bit tired. But was just like, I need to get out of here like safely. So I can get down into like civilization and get refreshed. And um, basically I boogie down in about three hours. Yeah. Three hours. I made really good time. I just like, moved fast i just was using every ounce of energy i could to safely get out of there so uh, a lot of lessons learned on that one for sure man and i for definitely need to have you back on the podcast and obviously we'll talk in a couple days um you have quite the just really quick what's your schedule over the next like you're finished in california right Yep, so um, since I've chosen, officially announced I'm doing the 100 highest, I've got 10 remaining mountains here in California in which I actually hope to plan to get them all in the next five days. I'm going in, I'm going to be doing 
tomorrow I'm going to do one mountain. I'll come out and then uh, I'll be doing a kind of backpacking schedule in which these are unique because I should be able to go up and all within like uh, a mile, like a half mile area. They're, they're technical, which we're going to have to use some ropes and stuff, but I can get a lot of these peaks hopefully. So we're going to try to get most of them all in a day, but overall, hopefully in the next five days, I can finish uh, California. And the last mountain actually is the one that I didn't do that night the other night because uh, I need to hike up. It's going to be sweet like revenge. a 20-mile day. It'll, sweet revenge, redemption. It'll be a very long day, but I saved that just because it was demoralizing. I was like, you know what? If I put that as the very last one, like I'll have the last bit of energy when I get down to these other ones saying, you know what? Like This is my last one I have to do here, and then I can move on. So okay. um, then I'll go back to Colorado and finish up uh, mountains there that's great man that's great well uh if people want to follow your story i guess where could they where could they go yeah the best way is to follow me on instagram which is calvin.johansson um that's i'm gonna be honest man. <laughs> there you go i was yeah. gonna say i've been your friend for so many years now and every time i spell your last name i'm still like okay is there two h's or two n's or two s's yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's our, I, I would say the best way to get to that is if you go to my website, 14ers Project, uh, shorthand, so 14ersproject.com. Right on the front there, it has my Instagram account, um, how to follow me, all that stuff, how to stay in touch with the whole journey that I'm doing. So I recommend checking out 14ersproject.com. You can see more about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how to follow the journey. Awesome, man. Well, I have the most respect for you, and you're one of my best friends in the whole world, and I just hope you keep staying safe. I know you're going to finish, so I can't even say, like, I hope you finish, because you're going to, but uh, but yeah, man, stay safe. Maybe, and... maybe to keep people uh, a cliffhanger, I just now remembered, even though we'll call it the zombie night the other night, I did 30 plus hours yeah. uh, all through the night. But now I just remember that moment in Colorado in which I was honestly the scariest position I've ever been in, in which I thought I had a, I was in a very bad scenario to be, um, to have some very dangerous things happen to me. In yes. which maybe we can tell that story next time. And Dude. I was trying to save myself, but yet it was, one of those things where I really thought I was going to end up in a newspaper and not in a good way. Oh, but, my uh, God. Maybe we can share that story next time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we need to. I'll Maybe when you're driving to Colorado, we'll call and podcast with you again, brother. Perfect. So, All right, man. Love you. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Chad. All right. Chris. See you, man. Thanks for being on. See you. Bye. Bye. All right, I just want to thank Calvin one more time for being on the show. Uh, what a fantastic guest. We will definitely be chatting again as I pursue this goal of mine to podcast once a week for a whole entire year. So as always, thank you for listening. I will be back next week with uh, another great guest and I just want to leave you with one final reminder to get outside, go have an adventure, pursue one of your dreams, and ultimately reap the rewards. So this is Chris Ward from likeabigfoot.com, and I will be talking to you next week. Peace out.